0: Hi, welcome to the First Trust ROI Podcast. I'm Ryan Isakainen, ETF Strategist at First Trust. Today I'm joined by John DiGiovanni, Managing Director of Direct Indexing and Separate Managed Accounts at First Trust. We're going to talk about direct indexing, this new innovation that has gathered quietly over the last couple decades, about seven or $800 billion. I'm gonna discuss with John about why this has grown so much, uh, who it's appropriate for, what are some of the advantages What are some of the ways that investment professionals have utilized direct indexing strategies with their clients? Thanks for joining us on the First Trust ROI podcast. All right, John. Um, First thing is first. We were were talking earlier today, and we're actually at a conference where the the speaker mentioned something about Costco. and, And you told me something that I didn't know about you. Um, and we've known each other for about a decade, but you said you have never been to a Costco or never even, you don't even know where one is. Is that, is that a true statement? That is entirely accurate. Is that, um, tell me more about that. Why is that? Are you just an elitist? Is that the problem? Yes,
1: it's not a personal choice. I've just never had a need to go to one, nor could I point out where one is on a map, nor do I know the contents of the store. I just know you
0: get a lot of what you buy. <laughs> All right, we're, after the podcast, we're going to take a field trip to a Costco because um, most of what I buy, probably about a third of my income actually goes right into the bottom line of Costco. (laughs) Um, You've got a young family, as it grows, you'll find yourself at Costco more, uh, I think as well. Um, All right, John, um, when we're thinking about direct indexing, what are the primary benefits that people find most compelling about those strategies?
1: Customization is one, but there's also the ability to increase your after-tax returns. There's a term called tax drag, which is effectively the loss of wealth on your investments in taxable accounts. And for example, our, our research team at First Trust looked at almost 100 years of US large cap stock data. So if you're a buy and hold investor in a taxable account and you rebalance your US equity portfolio once every five years, between the taxes on capital gains and dividends, you lose roughly 3.2% on an annualized basis. It ends up being about a third of your total return. Wow! And if you think about it for a moment, that's, that's important because we've been conditioned for so long to think that fees are the most important part of investing. Fees matter the most. Our fees should be as low as possible. Our The advisors that we work with their fees should be as low as possible regardless of the value that we're adding all the while a third of investors equity returns are walking out the front door in their taxable accounts maybe there's some year-end loss harvesting that tries to offset that but prior to direct indexing there wasn't a solution that could continually address it at scale and it's not exactly a new concept it's just modern technology applied to two things most investors are already familiar with which are separately managed accounts and loss harvesting there's a multitude of areas that you can apply those tax benefits to but that's the the primary benefit or the one that's generating most of the
0: awareness okay so john as you think about where direct indexing is going uh, are there any Innovations that you're really excited about that are starting to, uh, either you're moving towards or are on the horizon?
1: Absolutely. There is a tremendous amount of innovation happening in this space. And the way I view it evolving is, is similar to the ETF wrapper. And one point, we had just index funds. And the next iteration was an enhanced version of that index. You have the term quantitative or, or smart beta. And so now we've gotten to the point where we have pure active ETFs. And anything under the sun can be done with securities inside that wrapper. You'll see the same thing happen with direct indexing. It's already starting to utilize other asset classes, fixed income, option overlay is another one, long short solutions, different indices, pure customization. The the adoption that you'll see with direct indexing is a function of, of what awareness will build. Meaning, if you look at the growth of ETFs over the last 20 years. It was as the investor ecosystem realized that the mutual fund in and of itself is, can be a relatively tax inefficient investment. High turnover in a mutual fund most often will create an embedded gain paid out at the end of the year. ETFs are incredibly tax efficient. The in-kind exchange mechanism of ETF was one of the greatest revolutions of financial services. as investors realize that over the last 20 years two and a half trillion dollars left mutual funds for etfs and as awareness builds with fa's and 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 investors that not only do we have this great stable of tax-efficient etfs we have these tax-advantaged smas that utilize direct indexing where we can increase our after-tax returns and we can offset capital gains taxes elsewhere, and we have the ability to customize them to any way that we see fit, and we can fund them with securities or cash, whatever our source of funds are. So we think that the migration of assets and direct indexing will be uh, faster and potentially at the same levels of dollars, and not that it's going to take market share from ETFs. ETFs are tremendous. They're not going anywhere. This expands the tent. There's close to $30 trillion of individual securities that are directly held by U.S. households. Uh, many of those are positions that need better mousetraps and that's why we're so excited about direct indexing. and That's why we think it'll be one of the most disruptive forces in our industry.
0: As you're kind of focusing on education and talking with investment professionals, um, it, you know, is it something that people are generally familiar with? How much of an educational learning curve are you finding as you talk to people?
1: quite a bit. The concepts, once they're introduced to you, become familiar fast. And what I mean by that is it's applying modern technology to two things the majority of professional investors are already acclimated to, loss harvesting and separately managed accounts. There's been advances in technology that has completely changed the experience and the scalability of that. And that's where the education and the awareness and, and ultimately our responsibility to grow this solution and bring the full benefit to our clients, it lies.
0: So do you find that the end investor, is this something new to, because if I talk to most people, you know, they know what an ETF is, they know what a mutual fund is. Um, do they know what a uh, direct indexing account is?
1: I would say most likely no the lack of familiarity has a lot to do with some of the confusion of the name, meaning it's not direct, it's not necessarily indexing. (laughs) The concept is better referred to, and I think over time you'll hear the term custom separately managed account or tax advantage separately managed account, using direct indexing as a way to optimize the holdings inside of that.
0: Okay, so, Direct indexing, not necessarily direct nor indexing, Mm -hmm. Um, sounds like a a challenge from a branding perspective Mm -hmm. to uh, to really communicate what those advantages are. So um, I want to dig into some of those more more specifically Um, when it comes to you mentioned some of the tax harvesting, tax Mm -hmm. loss harvesting, uh, some of those strategies. I want to get into those specifically, but but first, you know, what sort of investor is usually going to need that sort of um, tax loss strategy, or tax loss harvesting strategy. So from the tax
1: benefits of direct indexing, those that have capital gain exposure that they need to address, those that are looking to minimize their taxes and maximize their wealth will capture the greatest benefit. And you can do it in in a multitude of ways, whether it's maximizing the after-tax return of this particular investment, or if it's capturing loss inside of this portfolio while still delivering the upside of the index that they're looking to track, and then taking those losses and, and offsetting capital gains elsewhere. But anyone that has taxable accounts that are subject to some sort of capital gain tax, or a component of their ordinary income, up to 3000 per year if they're married, filing jointly, and it doesn't have to be in every year, because the beauty of tax losses is you can carry them forward into perpetuity. So for example, if you're going to be dealing with this in retirement or you have a liquidity event on the horizon such as the sale of a business or real estate. You hear concentrated stock is an often used example, people that have been trapped in these low basis positions simply because of the tax situation if they look to divest out of them. So it's a a long answer to a very short question but the tax benefits of direct indexing can be applied to Anywhere in a taxable investor's account.
0: So it seems like that's a pretty broad set of investors that would potentially benefit from this sort mm-hmm. of, uh, of of investment account. So um, is isn't this? You actually mentioned this earlier. Um, tax loss harvesting. These tax strategies they're not new. These are these are strategies that investment professionals have done for their clients for a long time. So why is this? as a vehicle to deliver that, a, a better way to do it?
1: It's a great question, and you're correct. You could have done this at any time manually. It would require, or at one point, it would have required lots of people, and before commissions on equity trading had gone to the level that they are, you'd need a very high dollar amount for it to make sense for the investor. It's been democratized for a few reasons. One, technology. It's made this incredibly scalable. You can do lots of things for lots of investors, depending on the platform that you're with. And then secondarily with, with commissions going to such a low rate, if not gone altogether, you're able to do this at a very high frequency. And, and what I mean by that is if you look at the average direct index SMA on our platform, if it's a US equity strategy, you're looking at somewhere between 1200, 1500 trades per year on average. And that could be at any point in any time of any trading day. Mm. Whereas if you look at historically, the loss harvesting that investors tended to do was at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. They looked at their tax exposure, saw where they could harvest losses if that made sense, which was always interesting to us because December is one of the best performing months of the Mm S&P for the year. You hear the term Santa Claus rally. So you're looking to capture losses and a tax benefit and one of the times where the market's usually heading up where with direct indexing, you've removed yourself from that and you've outsourced that to a platform and a manager that you have conviction in and depending on who you're using could be looking at harvesting losses monthly, weekly, some do it daily. We think it's more not so much the point in time but but when it matters most to the client meaning being able to react at volatility at any time and then aggregating all of those losses or tax savings up and at the end of the year or at any point in the year when you're looking to minimize tax and maximize wealth.
0: So what I'm hearing you say is it, it, it's largely a scalability Correct. Um, solution. Correct. So if I'm an advisor and I'm trying to implement these strategies, I'm not going to be able to do it at scale for my entire uh, client you know, book of business. It's, it's just really not realistic to try to do that. And so you, you're adding scalability and some degree of automation. Correct. So. That brings up a good question. You mentioned there's different frequencies with which you can do that. Um, is this the sort of thing where uh, direct indexing platforms typically have a, an automated way to do that? Or is this something that um, you know, the advisor typically will go in and say, okay, there's been some volatility. Let's look at where we can take losses.
1: There are platforms that offer that, that I would argue would not be the way you'd enter a scalable solution yeah. into your business.
0: Yeah, as that seems of, like a lot of work. Exactly, exactly.
1: <laughs> the, I think the, the way I would look at it is if, if you just walk through the process of, of what a direct index SMA is. It's an investor, before we even touch base on the customization component, because that's a, a very meaningful segment sure. as well. You pick an index, you track that index. The reason why we own it inside of an SMA and not through another vehicle like a mutual fund or an ETF is Those don't have the ability to pass losses to the end investor. And the way you would increase your after-tax return by owning the S&P 500 via an ETF is essentially if you replaced that ETF with something substantially similar but not identical inside of a separately managed account, you own all of the underlying holdings. So there's a lot more opportunities for customization, a lot more transparency, but significantly greater opportunities to increase your after-tax returns with loss harvesting. So for the S&P, for example, you have one opportunity with the ETF. There's 503 names inside of the S&P today. So technically that's 503 opportunities to increase your after-tax return. But with direct indexing, you're not interested in owning all of the names. You want to sample the index. You want to own the number of names that's going to give you the same performance within basis points. It's called sampling the index. And if you're doing it yourself, that requires a lot of work. If you're outsourcing it to an effective direct indexing platform, their optimizers calculating that for you. So you'll hear examples of when Coke is down, you replace Coke with Pepsi, your Lowe's is down, you replace Lowe's with Home Depot. The Mm -hmm. real explanation is it's whatever is the most substantially similar from a risk perspective. And again, the optimizer is calculating that for you. So on a pre-tax basis, you're getting all of the upside of the benchmark that you track, but you're throughout those 1,200 to 1,500 trades per year, building up this big pool of tax savings that gives you the ability to dramatically outperform on an after-tax basis. And it's a opportunity that exists in all markets. If you look at the last 20 or so years of the S&P, 90 plus percent of the stocks of the S&P experience a drawdown throughout the year that you could capture a tax benefit, meaning even the years that they finish positive for the year there
0: was some point if you have the ability to harvest losses at any time, you could have captured a, a tax savings for your client. I'm listening to the description there and that all makes sense. Um, one of the questions that I had is you're, you're, you're sampling from the index and so if the S&P 500 has 503 holdings or 500 whatever it happens to be. Um, so. What about non-index holdings? Um, Because I'm sure you could find some that have similar properties and correlation to index holdings outside of that that list of 500 or so stocks. Mm -hmm. So is that something that can be done as well?
1: Depending on your goal and depending on the platform, Mm -hmm. this introduces the concept of customization. There are those that are looking to blend indices some are looking to reflect an opinion or values and own or not own specific names. There are others from a risk management perspective. You are an employee of a publicly traded company and too much of your net worth is tied up to that one particular name. So you want to avoid that name or Mm -hmm. that sector and the rest of your rest of your holdings. There are opportunities to go into what we'd say the custom indexing world that is not dependent on any index at all. It's, it's, tailor-made or bespoke to whatever the investor's preference is.
0: Okay, so then the other question that I had for you, especially if you're you're sampling and optimizing to an index, it seems like there's a trade-off that you have between um, how closely you replicate an index versus like how much leeway you want to allow for things like um, tax loss harvesting strategies. Do I have that right? Is that
1: correct? So the way of measuring your performance or your sampling of an index is done through tracking error, how close or far you are away on a pre-tax basis. Okay. That can be dependent on a few things. The number of securities that you own. Some investors prefer to own less holdings. That could give you a wider tracking error. It could also come into play with the customization of that account for a values investor that's excluding names whether that's for religious or any purpose of a reason to express an opinion that you don't want to own those names or you want to overweight other names, that's gonna have an impact on how you perform relative to your benchmark. The nice thing is with our platform, there's predicted tracking here, meaning if you're gonna add or remove names or overweight or underweight names, you'll have a fair estimation of what you'll perform relative to your benchmark on a pre-tax basis. Then there's terms on an after-tax basis. There's a term called tax alpha, which we can talk about if you'd like in a, yeah. in a minute. And what that refers to is the excess return that you'll generate through the loss harvesting. But it also has to take into account tracking error, meaning you can't just harvest losses in an account for the sake of harvesting losses if you're not gonna deliver the performance of the benchmark on a pre-tax basis. Because the goal of this is index returns, pre-tax, outperformance post tax. So to make that back to your question tracking error is a way of measuring your performance relative to a benchmark and we can do that in two different ways observed on an after the fact basis mm-hmm. or predicted going into it.
0: All right so let's let's dive into tax alpha a little sure. bit more because uh, you know, most investment professionals are familiar with the concept of alpha. Mm-hmm. Just you know, we usually think of alpha as like Jensen's alpha, which is you take your uh, predicted return based on the the beta of the benchmark, mm-hmm. and then you say, okay, how much did I actually outperform mm-hmm. on a risk adjusted basis mm-hmm. compared to that benchmark? Um, when we're talking about tax alpha, that's a it's a related concept, but it's a little different. So you mentioned a little bit about it before, but I want to dig into that a, a bit more. First off. Um, What I mean, if you were to quantify um, what maybe some of the direct indexing uh, programs at least strive to attain from a tax alpha Mm -hmm. standpoint, like what what would be, if you were to put some numbers to that, uh, any estimates? Sure. If you Google the term tax
1: alpha, you'll come across a half a dozen white papers that say that you can consistently outperform your index by anywhere from one to 2% per year. It could be a lot higher than that, depending on your frequency at which you harvest losses. Mostly dependent on times of excess volatility, but even a 1% tax alpha applied to an index can compound to some very large savings over time. And Tax alpha in itself is a measure of the after-tax excess return above a benchmark. You mentioned Jensen's alpha before, that's outperformance driven through security selection. Tax alpha is outperformance driven through tax management. And if you think through it, there's a lot more consistency with tax alpha than there is with investment alpha. Investment alpha is, in our view, a a bet on the PM to be able to consistently outperform their benchmark over time. With tax alpha, as long as you're tracking the benchmark, doing your job as a direct indexer and and delivering index returns pre-tax, your after-tax performance through loss harvesting should outperform. And that's what the white papers are speaking to. But there's times where if you look at 2022 and some of the accounts that we've seen, we're talking double digit tax level because you have the ability to-
0: Is that because of the volatility? The and volatility the ability to, okay. and,
1: and depending on what your, your frequency is, meaning certain players in this space will harvest losses once per month. That's their way of not violating the wash rule. Others will do it weekly, if not daily. More of the modern platforms that have a newer tech stack are structured that way. We don't think that the, the day, the week, or the month matters most is the ability to do it anytime. And, and what I mean by that is if you look at some of the times, we could even show trade data from the third quarter of, of 2022 where the S&P is down significantly in the morning and, and up in the afternoon. And because we're not on a set schedule, we're able to take advantage of moments like that deliver some meaningful outperformance from a tax standpoint.
0: But it, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, if you have an account that's been around for a very long period of time and stocks tend to go up over time, do you risk reaching a point at which there's no longer harvests, uh, losses to harvest?
1: There can be. The, the term is called tax alpha decay. Okay. And it's meaning if we opened an account and did nothing to it, sooner or later, I've heard on average, six or seven years is when you'll effectively run out of losses to harvest. And as you said, you have a portfolio full of winners and and a lot of tax savings that you built up through that time. doesn't sound like that bad of a problem to be in.
0: (laughs) It's a high class problem.
1: There are ways of either extending that or or mitigating that. If you have the ability to contribute cash, if this is a core holding for you and and you're in wealth accumulation mode, that, that solves that for you. There are the ability to use multiple indices where you have more substitutes for loss harvesting. We've talked about the S&P. If you're only using the S&P, perhaps you'll run out of substitutes. If you're using a few indices or there was volatility that happened, bear market correction that that created those opportunities to extend that. Option overlay is, is very popular using a covered call strategy to create cash for you. That's often done on a concentrated position. And there's a a new wave of, of long, short strategies hmm. that are coming out where it's a, a 130, 30 or, or some long position and a short position that offset so you net long, but the short position is effectively creating synthetic losses for you, whether that's to maximize it in the current period that you're in or extend it over a
0: longer period of time. Hmm. That's, uh, those are all I mean, we could spend a half an hour in on each one of those types of strategies, John. Um, Very interesting, some of the innovation that's taking place. But I I think, you know, the the first point that you made, the fact that as you're contributing over time, and, you know, a lot of, there's a big swath of investors where that is the case. They're contributing money over time. Um, They may have losses with things that are contributed just due to volatility. So I think that's a, I'm glad you brought that up. It's a great point.
1: Yeah, even look at last year with as great of a year as the S&P had roughly a third of the underlying names were negative. So Hmm. this is an opportunity that will serve you well in all markets.
0: I wanna talk a little bit more about customization. You've mentioned it a few times. Uh, When I think of customization, one of the things that comes to mind is ESG, environment, Mm -hmm. social governance. Um, And one of the challenges that I've always had with, with ESG is that it seems to me that it's a reflection of people's values mm-hmm. and their values that they want to invest in because they want to support or not support certain types of companies. But mm-hmm. the problem is um, you and I are different people. We're all different people and we have different sets mm-hmm. of values. And it becomes really difficult in a normal 40 act mutual fund to reflect everyone's values. Mm-hmm. You could say one thing is good that I say is bad or vice versa. So uh, it seems like direct indexing is a great way to customize someone's values or an organization's values or you know, the values that, that exactly match an investment policy statement from an organization. Um, Am I right in that? Is that uh, kind of what the customization from an ESG perspective allows you to do? Absolutely.
1: And it doesn't have to be ESG. I'd say whatever is important to the end investor, direct indexing is the way to deliver that specific to what they want. You'll hear the analogy uh, a a packaged product, a mutual fund, an ETF. That's an off-the-rack solution Hmm. versus the... Custom SMA or direct index SMA is tailor-made or bespoke. And that's important because with what you had said earlier, who's to say the ESG or any sort of value, that's what's important to the people that put that product together or what they think is important to their end investor. Where with this is, we're Switzerland. You tell us what's most important to you, and that's exactly what we're going to build. And that can be an individual investor or an institution. We have a, a fair amount of our business is with tax-exempt organizations that capture zero tax benefit. Yeah, that's interesting.
0: So they're not even worried about the tax alpha Correct. that we've spent Correct. some time talking about. They're
1: looking for index returns as close as possible minus or plus all of the names that they're gonna add. So for example, we work with a lot of faith-based institutions and through their investing guidelines are not allowed to own specific names that don't align with their faith. And with the direct indexing platform, you can look at an index, have your buy list, remove the names that are not on the buy list, and then own the remaining names in the optimal blend that will give you as close to the index on your investment policy statement mandate that, you, that you're that you looking to track, or I should say, your mandate that
0: your you're mandate. looking to So, and, and that's from a risk and a return sort of objective standpoint, correct.
1: right? correct. And there are situations that happen in real time that you can immediately react to. So for example, when the USCCB, which determines the investing guidelines of Catholic investors, changed their views two years ago, you can immediately redeploy what investments are in compliance inside of a direct index SMA. And this came up with some of the investors that we worked with that used uh, package product historically for those, and and you're either waiting for a quarterly rebalance or or for them to catch up to that. So back to your comment on. ESG, who is behind that and what's important to them, you're able to do what's most important to you at any time with direct indexing, because it's your account, it's your SMA.
0: What about, um, you know, I'm a big fan of certain thematic investments, whether it's, you know, ETFs or other investment vehicles. Um, Is there any way to do that within a, a direct indexing
1: account? Absolutely, thematics and factors are very popular ways of utilizing direct indexing, whether you're looking to overweight quality or or go to a low volatility vehicle or taking advantage of a specific sector or subsector or blend of those subsectors. All of that is easily done inside of a direct index account.
0: Another thing that you mentioned earlier that I wanted to circle back on was um, using direct indexing for low basis individual stocks and and helping to diversify. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure.
1: So with a low basis position, typically the investor has gotten to a point where they realize they likely should do something with it. They just don't want to pay the taxes on it. So they're making decisions not on the merits of their investment, but on the tax implications. And that could be something that's grown to large of their portfolio, or no longer makes sense, or perhaps there's a better opportunity elsewhere, and you need that security as a source of funds to pursue it, and you're somewhat hamstrung because you're reticent to pay capital gains tax. With direct indexing, and with all SMAs, you can fund them in kind with any exchange-traded security. So it's not a taxable event to move that low-basis stock inside this SMA. And then utilize the loss-harvesting mechanism to unwind that position for you you'll get what's called a transition report, which will show you the security, or it could be a number of securities that you have, the tax picture of those securities, your benchmark that you're looking to track going forward, how far away you are from that benchmark measured by tracking error, which we discussed, and then some solutions or some scenarios that you can unwind, whether your goal is to be methodical and slowly work out of that position and stay as close to tax neutral as you can, Or if you're really concerned about that position and you want to get out of it as quickly as you possible, uh, just doing it the most tax efficient way. So now you've changed the narrative of investing back to making decisions on the merit of the investment and not just the tax hit that you're going to take from exiting a low basis position.
0: All right. I have a final question for you. It's one that I ask, um, at least I try to ask all, all the guests of the ROI podcast and that is, uh, what are you reading lately? Do you have any book recommendations that, uh, that the listeners to the podcast would uh, maybe benefit from? Depends
1: on if they have a three-year-old. Uh, okay. Most of my reading these days uh, is with my son, so a lot of Little Blue Truck. Little Blue uh, Truck, I Cat will Miller, add that to the... Uh,
0: uh,
1: Paw Patrol, I love to read, have very little free time and... and okay.
0: Time 20 second time out here in your book list here. Have you, have you either watched or or read any bluey? I have not. I have. Not. Okay. So again, maybe we'll go to Costco. Yeah, we'll talk about we'll bluey. Uh, bluey, uh, is, I've got a, a young, uh, just turned six year old and bluey is an amazing show as well mm-hmm. as books. You should check it out for your, uh, for your kids. Um, We'll, so we'll leave the podcast there. Yeah. Um, John, it's been a, a really interesting conversation. Thanks for telling us all about direct indexing and some of the innovation that's happening in the uh, financial services industry. Uh, First Trust, we're trying to provide the best and the most innovative products and, and tool set for financial professionals we can. So thank you for coming on. Um, thanks to all of you for joining us on the First Trust ROI podcast.